This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Confident in telling you that we are tagged out, because I just smoked that deer. Nice shot. It's been really tough hunting, to be honest with you. You're listening to the Scree Country Podcast. As we're recording this, we are we are mid-July, and Mike, uh, I was out in Utah two or three weeks ago, and it's a different kind of miserable than it is here in Louisiana, but it is equally miserable just in its own way, and I'm getting stir-crazy. I'm, I'm ready for the kind of weather that makes me want to be outside and do hunting and outdoor activities. How, what what do you do this time of year in Utah? Like, I know it feels like well, your wife blowing. Uh, feels it felt to me like your wife was was pointing her hair dryer at you every time I stepped outside. <laughs> well, this, this is a busy time of year for us. I mean, here at Scree, it's really busy. This is kind of a our season. Things really start to ramp up, but you know how it is, man. You got family reunions, you got kids going different places and sports. And, you know, as a hunter, we're, you know, we're doing a lot of different things to get ready for a hunt. We're, we're assessing gear. We're um, shooting bows and shooting rifles and getting, getting ourselves ready to do some uh, mountain hunting. And anyway, yeah. So I think it's really a great time to just, uh, just, prepare for the upcoming hunts and I don't know I, I don't mind the warm weather it's super hot where we're at I mean uh, we're I think today we're at like 108 degrees um, which is uh, which is nice and cool right if you're living in Phoenix or somewhere like that but anyway I, I don't know enough of this hot weather and I think a guy starts to, to long for the, the the coming days of fall and the when the air's crisp and the elk start bugling and anyway, the leaves start yeah. to change. I'm, I'm excited for that. That I, I think that when we get past July the 4th, like in the outdoor industry in general, and just as like just the, the typical kind of personalities and uh, of, of outdoorsmen, 
July the 4th is like, to me, it's like the turning of a page every year. Family vacations are kind of either ending or coming to fruition in one way or the other, and you're looking towards school's going to be starting back up in a in a month or so, and, like, everybody starts looking at what's to come. And, and, and so then to me, the next bent, like the next milestone is Labor Day, right? The 1st of September, everything is really getting going. And like for me in whitetail country, so right now, what's we're, I do like the big opposite of me and you is private land management versus preparation for public land hunting, right? So not that there's not a lot of, public land hunting in the south and in whitetail country but um a big part of the whitetail world is is revolved around managing private pieces of property and and so for me i'm on the tractor and i'm trying to you know do as much as i can to be prepared for october late september october and it's just really hard the snakes and the bugs and the, uh and it's hard the landscape when you go out like you know what these things look like when you're in a tree stand in the fall and they'd look nothing like that right now. And sometimes that's like an interesting thing for us to talk about sometime down the road in another podcast. How how do you translate what it looks like today versus what it's going to look like in three months when the leaves start falling and and you're actually trying to hunt these areas? It's kind of there's right. so many different tactics yeah, and, and techniques for that. Well, and it's hard. And I mean, I, I mean, I can't. Like I said, I. You know, in, in, in terms of animals, like scouting for animals, I mean, if you're archery hunting, I mean, scouting right now in the Rocky Mountain West is awesome. If you're scouting for elk or deer or whatever, um, especially mule deer, they, they tend to stay in the same area. Elk is a totally different thing. But, like, you can scout and reasonably expect to hunt those same animals in August. I mean, in Utah, our mule deer hunts start mid-August. They start here in literally less than a month. And, and so you can reasonably scout animals and hunt those same animals in that same area. But if, if you're hunting later season, October, November, those, those animals, chances are long gone. I mean, depending on the area. So, um, so yeah, man, I think right now it's just kind of, kind of preparation. And, and for us, I mean, there's a lot of scouting going on right now. Scouting yeah. in the West really kind of picks up in, in, you know, mid July, right into August. Well, for for our episode today, we've got a really awesome and very interesting guest. So we're going to have Mr. Roland Welker join us. Uh, Mr. Welker is the winner of the History Channel's Alone Series Season 7. It's been 100 days um, in a survival uh, situation on on that, that series alone. And if you've watched it, you, you've probably followed along with a lot of his journey. And we're going to have a lot of questions about about that and and you know one of the things that's an interesting segue from from how we're we started out here and and getting into talking to him is like for me I live right I mean my I walk out my office door and most of my hunting property is right here and it's a huge advantage for me to live here well Roland lives in he's in Red Devil Alaska in, in the wilderness where he guides and outfits and um he kind of lives that lifestyle and so the preparation and the ability to prepare and kind of live that year round it it is advantageous to hunters i'm curious mike i want you to introduce him um 
kind of officially, but I'm curious, you know, how, how you made this connection and, and kind of your story to, to finding out about him and his story and, and getting him on the podcast to share some of that with us. Right. Yeah. You know, I was, I was actually hunting black bear up in Canada about, about a month ago. And, um, in camp was another hunter actually from Louisiana, Ross, um, and Ross has hunted with Roland and he's like, Hey man, you know, you, you really, uh, I think you'd really connect with Roland and, um, I'd like to, to, to make the connection and get you guys introduced. And so anyway, he did that. And, uh, you know, Roland and I have had the opportunity to kind of talk, uh, uh, on a few different occasions and, and, one thing I immediately noticed about Roland, he's, he's the real deal. He's as authentic as they come. I think he, he lives a lifestyle that a lot of us can only dream about. And so anyway, uh, I think before we, you know, we've got lots of questions rolling, um, but we're going to, I think before we jump into the questions really about the show and about the series, uh, why don't you just give us a brief summary of your, your life, the, those growing up years, um, you didn't grow up in Alaska, as I as I understand it. Um, and then talk to us about the move to Alaska and becoming a guide, and and just the months leading up to the the Alone series. Oh, you bet, Mike. Yes. How long? How Mike? How y'all? Yeah, we're glad to have Born you, man. Rock Welker here. Survival star of Alone Season 7, if nobody caught it. You know, it's like the most amazing survival show on the face of the planet. And I killed their uh, greatest season ever. Just watched a little bit of Nine last night. Some people there cuffing it out right now. But yeah, so this journey, I'm in Red Devil, which is way 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 interior southwest alaska we're lucky to even have telephone connection here and my journey did begin as a very 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 young boy in hillbilly heaven central pennsylvania appalachia hills logging coal mining country everybody hunting crazy trapping crazy fishing crazy and of course i caught that bug too as a very young man my peers were a very young boy my peers were my uncles and my dad's friends and and other family members my father and you know these people were steeped in the hunting heritage that is so important to so many of our way of life and, and as a young, impressionable boy, I just, I, I, I picked it up. And I, I even, I went so far with it to start reading. Reading was very important to not only where I came from, but who I became later. The, the love of reading, your history and your skills. You know, even when you ain't out practicing, you're, you're, you're reading it. No internet back then, of course. Maybe now people read it on internet. I just had books. I'd gather up every book or magazine I could possibly get. And my uncle was subscribed. Same uncle, my dad's brother, that was a country fur buyer in the 80s fur boom, which I was eight years old when that fired up. And, you know, an eight-year-old ain't good for much. But when there's a pile of possum on the skin and deck and they're worth one dollar, 
they can afford to turn an eight-year-old loose on them. And that was the beginning of my uh, fur handling career, which your knife work, I know this is a lot of hunting-oriented kind of talk, but, but, but your knife work is real important if you're going on into the professional world. So there's just so many things that came together there. We could talk for hours. Um, Shiloh, Pennsylvania, Clearfield County, right in the middle of the state. A lot of history there, lots of history. People think about Pennsylvania, they don't think about a lot of hunting and stuff, but but we are a strong, strong, strong hunting state, as all the white tail people know, but there's a lot more going on there than that. Advanced, and now fast forward into the teenage years, young man years, that uh, when, when my father and his uncle, that had too much influence on me when I was a boy, in the early 70s, mid-70s, late 70s, you could still homestead in Alaska. That's all done. There's no more homesteading anymore. But the the last of the homesteads, the actual homestead acts, were finishing up in the 70s. And I remember uncle and father talking, and, you know, they were were independents. They had their own little coal mine and stuff. They they were were hip shooters. They they would haul off and do stuff. And they just almost pulled the trigger to come up. And I pleaded with mother and auntie to to go with them, but the women were kind of the holdup, and they never came, of course. So then later in life, I mean, I had the bug. I had the bug bad. I, I, I had to go do something to quench this burning desire to, to uh, hunt and fish and trap. And I, I just uh, peeled out of there at 24. I was 24, wrapping up my first divorce and caught the vision again, the boyhood vision. And I throwed my traps and my guns in a 1981 Ford F1 nothing. And, and I rolled for the north and I've been rolling ever since. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I, I think that you mentioned reading and how impressionable that was. I'm curious, do you recall some of the things that you read and studied as a younger boy that were most impressionable on you? Because I, I think a lot of people, I hope a lot of people, uh, find that same value. I know I do. I mean, I think you, you can, you can gain a lot by studying and, and researching and, and in your downtime, reading about things. So, if do you remember anything that was that was most impressionable? Oh, I remember each and every one. I remember each and every one. I, my dad was an avid reader. He taught me the uh, the love of reading. He didn't teach me how to read. I came from a good school, but he taught me the love of reading and where it could take you to get my my good reading list you got to come to my woodsy survival camp to get my personal reading list. I don't just hand that out. But one of the very first books that was laid into my hand, I remember my dad buying it, the reprint, the, night, the early 80s reprint of The Big Sky by A.B. Guthrie Jr. And dad knocked it out, handed it to me. I was in sixth grade. I would read it under the desk while everybody else was studying out of their grammar books. 
I was reading these early American history novels of uh, my heroes and my peers that settled this country and turned it into the greatest civilization on earth. And I, I uh, molded myself after these icons of American history. So was it was it more history type books, or was there some some hunting books? What about were you were you enamored at all by the the early outdoor writers, um, you know, Jack O'Connor and some of the, um, you know, some of the writers of that time, you know, outdoor life was, was really big back then. I remember I would devour any, any kind of magazine that talked about any kind of hunting or trapping. Um, was there any, any interest in those kind of magazines? Was it, was it more books? Anything I could get a hold of, any literature, any books on early American history from the settling of the Ohio Valley or even the, the Eastern Front clear on out to the West. The Mountain Man era was very prevalent. That's what the big sky is about, the, the beaver trade in the Rocky Mountains. But at the same time, you know, I wasn't turning down any outdoor life or field and streams. I was sucking them up for sure. What? And of the Alaska Last Frontier magazine. You know, now Alaska magazine is just called the Alaska magazine. And there's all kinds of stuff in there. It, it, it's even half-ass green. But when I was growing up, the Alaska magazine was called Alaska the Last Frontier. And it was all about homesteading and hunting. And, you know, the type of stuff that as again, I'll say it again, that settled and built this country into the greatest civilization on earth. Yeah. When so you... that, that history and practicality, history and practicality. You know, I, that's how I, I started running into survival books, old woodsman books. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm by now I'm 10 or 11 starting to skin some better fur for my uncle figuring out how to sharpen my own knife and reading, 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 reading. You know, and when you, you mentioned, you mentioned reading, you know, I, I think about Jim Bridger and, and, you know, some of the tales of some of these early mountain men that came out West. And I mean, they were, when you talk about the alone series and being alone, I mean, these guys were, all alone but they were they loved it man they were they were in their element and and they were explorers right they they honestly went where uh previously no at least no white man had ever gone before um and i don't know i i i, I kind of I, when i when i think of some of the early explorers i actually kind of kind of think about you i mean you you seem to have that that adventurous explorer spirit can you tell us was there a specific um, thing that drew you to Alaska other than, you know, your, it sounds like your dad and your uncle uh, got the itch to go. Was there any specific book or any specific event in your life that kind of drew you in to, to the Alaska frontier? Well, somewhat. It, it, the, the, the frontier of it, the, the adventure of it. Like, I, I didn't really become a really good hunter until later in life because I had too much sap and wanted to explore too much as a young boy and a young man. I, I couldn't sit 
deal. I couldn't sit there and wait for no deer to come to the stand. I wanted to see what was over the next ridge. And I had a lot of country even back in Pennsylvania in front of me. So the, the exploring mentality led me to Alaska. And, and you know, so the frontier, I always, you know, the mountain man day was gone, long gone. That was way in the past. But the Alaska frontier was more recent. And like when I came up, you could still experience a little bit of it. And even now, it's, you know, Alaska is the last state to, to settle down because the frontier is real closer here. And, and this, all this history really resonated with me. You know, history's pretty consistent. It's, it's logged down and there it is. It generally don't lie or mislead. And it's very significant to substantial study matter. So my reading evolved to Alaska reading, which was, like I said, way more uh, recent compared to Rocky Mountain reading or if you go clear back to the settling of the Ohio Valley, which is all still very, very prevalent in my reading and, and the way I do stuff. I, 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 I said this on Alone Season 7, if anybody didn't catch it or want to go back and restudy it. I'm here to represent the old timers, the old technology, the axe and the saw, chop down the wilderness, build your cabin and put in a corn patch type of uh, people where we came from in the East. And I'd like to just point out, I was just featured in American Essence, that's a big historical magazine a few months ago by an uh, author, Jill Dutton. She wrote me up pretty good in that magazine. And I'm a Yankee. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And I just appeared in the Pennsylvania magazine, same author. So uh, the, the history of this stuff is just as important as the cutting edge hunting techniques that we all love, of course. So right. Uh, it's very fascinating, and you know, I, 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 as you, you know, as you make that big move from, um, from your roots in Pennsylvania to to Alaska, it sounds like you landed there, and in, in you're, you know, the ripe age at 24 years old. Um, ha- have you essentially lived there ever since? I mean, is that is that have you called Alaska home since you were 24? Have you been, have you moved anywhere else, or have you pretty much been there? Well, I'm pretty much been in Alaska, but I am also very fluid. You know, I, I, I can jump on a plane and go, go, you know, score some high dollar work in another state anytime I want with my operating experience from my coal mining days. It goes clear back to my childhood too. Uh, but yeah, Alaska resident, Alaska registered big game guide, one, two, four, oh, got my own outfit here knocking out some of the most desirable trophies in the world professionally here for the last 25 years. And I, I'm living the dream. You know, what? another thing, you know, one of your earlier questions, what brought me to Alaska? Well, it was the, the, uh, the, uh, the freshness of the frontier, but it was also my desire. You know, but by the time I came to Alaska, I was 24, I killed a bunch of turkey and, deer and all that kind of stuff i wanted to hunt big game i wanted to hunt north america big game you got to go north to do that what's um what's your favorite big game animal to hunt 
at this point in your life? Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. That is a very, very, very popular question. And I've handled so much of this stuff. I do more guiding than hunting. So, you know, on a yearly basis, I might skin, I just skinned seven bears this spring. And now already, back to your earlier conversation, July preparations, well, I'm looking at August sheep hunts already. Ah, sheep, the word sheep, that, that, that's probably borderline still my most favorite animal to hunt, the tall sheep. You know, it's a white animal, which sets it off from everything else. They're, they're not everywhere. They're only in select spots. It's a very demanding hunt. You've got to have the right gear, the right pack, the right guide, the right attitude. Uh, the shots are generally long. But lately, the, the, the early spring bear hunt has been captivating me for the last four or five years. I mean the early one where they're popping out of the hole. You're on a super cub with skis landing on these eight and nine foot bears, brown bear, um, on five foot of snowpack. It's a snowshoe hunt with some heavy hiking. And then after you harvest, some heavy packing. I like the physical. I really, really like the physical. I like the trophy handling. I like taking a client out that, you know, some of these hunts, you've got to have a guide. And taking that hunter and, and, and uh, bringing him through the wilderness experience, whatever it takes to get that shot with many hours on snowshoes. And then the two or three hour photo shoot and videoing, and then the two or three hour skinning job, and then the two or three hour pack back to camp. I've had nine foot bear hides on my back. My client has all my, uh, gear because i can't take the bear hide in the gear these big bear hides are heavy and uh oh, we're, 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 we're struggling we're, we're we're struggling to get back to our nylon spike camp and it it it, it it's pure adventure i'm sorry mike go ahead no no i i was just curious at how how heavy those bear hides are on it like a nine foot bear i imagine you've got you still leave the skull in it or do you do you, you tape it out to the skull um, what what is something like that way? Yeah, leaving the skull in and the and the hands and the feet in is dependent on how far and how late in the day and how far I am away from shelter. You know, if I think I can't get this thing up out of the hole we're in or down off the mountain we're in back to camp, I'll go ahead and take the head out too, which involves more time skinning and you're looking at your watch and you know we got lots of daylight that time of year though it's it's spring. And, uh, and so, you know, if it's a nine foot bear, I almost all, unless I'm reasonably close to camp, I'll take the head and the hands out because it's just too heavy. You're looking at a hundred, you got to start packing around. Like if you're a gold miner, you got to start packing around a pump and some hose to get heavier than a bear hut. These things can weigh one, one fifty to one eighty, And, you know, I ain't really carrying no scales out there, but. Right. I've had a couple on that were approaching 10 foot with the head and the hands in that, that I thought might have been 200 pound packs. This takes heavy duty mentality, physical body strength, and your gear. You can't have the wrong gear. 
right? Well, and I've, you know, you, you talk about, you talk about sheep hunting. First off, I'll say this about sheep hunting. Um, you're, it, it's, it's one of those hunts, especially doll sheep hunting. I've, I've hunted doll sheep. I've harvested a doll sheep and it's, it's no joke. And it, but what an adventure, man. I, I'm telling you, when I, when I look back on my adventures, all my hunting adventures, man, it, a lot of them draw me back to my hunts in Alaska for, uh, for grizzly bear. Um, I have yet to hunt a brown bear. I was actually supposed to be there this spring hunting a brown bear and had to had to reschedule it. But I've I've taken a grizzly, uh, interior grizzly. I've I've shot doll sheep and and yeah, man, I'll tell you what you um, you work for every bit of it. And I you there there was one quote that you uh, that I really liked from the Alone series, and you may or may not remember saying this, but it it really resonated with me. I think not just in hunting, but all aspects of life. Um, you said, I've worked myself to every victory I've ever had in my life. Talk to me about that. What, what does that, what does that mean to you? That, that, that's everything. Persistence, stubborn, bullheaded, bulldog, don't give up. And, you know, I, I, and, and I, I travel around and do some talks across the nation now after the alone win, of course, and public speaking, I'll, I'll do some, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to a lot of Boy Scout groups and what have you, young men are, are up and comers. And, and, and I said it at the very end of the show. Now that you sparked my memory, I remember being that young man that wanted to be who I am today. And it just seems like the trail's so long. I like to use the word trail. The trail's long and hard, and you can't even see the end when you're 12 or 18. You just get on the trail and you push yourself through. That's the hard work that brought me through everything, always. And 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 I life. So I said this at the end of the show as I'm getting on the chopper and getting out. Life is a long game. You have time to accomplish that don't don't let little setbacks ever stop you life is a long game go go fulfill your um, passion so i, I think absolutely i think it's obviously a huge milestone achievement you know to 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 do what you did with the alone series but i'm just gathering and listening to you talk that that is far from the end of your trail so you kind of playing off of of that that the way that you like to, to to say that what where where is your trail leading now what, what would you how would you define that? well yeah you never know exactly where the trail ends you you start uh you know it evolves it's always evolving and I, I, this one other aspect i'd like to throw in about that determination and where you're going in life and your trail, you know, don't give up, swallow your setbacks and regroup and keep charging. You got to stay in some physical shape too, you know, and, and, uh, that, that there's like three aspects, uh, heart and body and, and, uh, your mind. Well, I added another one, your soul. You got to have the correct, connection with god almighty in jesus christ's name amen brother and you can pray your way through some thoughts too 
I always got that ace in the hole. Yeah, that that's awesome. That's something I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that I um, that I noticed about you, Rowan. Obviously, you have um, you know you you grew up with a, a solid Christian uh, background. God, something that that is very important to you, and I I I think that's an awesome force aspect to it. And and, and we're gonna I'm gonna ask you some kind of wrap up questions here towards the end of this podcast. But no, that's that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, let's just jump right in, feet first to this this alone series. I, I have a few questions um, in, in regards to kind of leading up to the, the series. Now, as I understand it, this was the first series that they offered up a million-dollar purse. Is that correct? That is correct. First and only time they did it. Yeah. Back to the question before that, where, the, where is the trail heading? You know, it, you know everybody's... I hold the record. I hold the record. Nobody stayed out there for a hundred days. And that was more important to me than the money. Of course I wanted the money too, but, uh, that is the record in a hundred days, a long, long time. And everybody thinks they're going to beat it. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. So the trail's going to end if, and when we don't know if they are or not, but if they bring us all back together, the trail's going to end with the 100-day king showing the whole world he's the big bull of the North Woods one more time, and then we're going to put it to sleep. Let's go to bed. I, I, lo- I love the confidence, man. I love the confidence. And, and obviously, one of the things that was quickly became evident to me, Roland, is you, you're, you're mentally very sound. And we'll, we'll, talk a, we'll talk a little bit more about mental soundness, but Again, jumping right into the alone series. So this is the first time they offered the, the million-dollar purse. Now, the one question I had um, was, were they offering that purse to any of the contestants that made it to 100 days, or was that the, still a last man standing? What? Talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, we've we, we got to watch. I don't like to reveal too much of uh, Inside Alone things it, it, it's a very tight-knit group they don't really like us going out and uh blabbing everything but it was the first time that that was offered and if we uh if we made it through to 100 days that was the chop off there was no last man standing it was just 100 days and then it was over if there was somebody else with you you had to split the pot. So I was putting oh. no good vibes out there at all. I wanted the whole thing. I wanted the title. I didn't want to share it with nobody. I didn't want the prestige going to nobody else. I damn sure didn't want the money going to nobody else. And praise God, it swung my way. And I even have a little saying that's uh, kind of harsh and people don't like, but, you know, Allie Russell was chasing me hard. She'd have been right there without frostbite. So I thank God for frostbite. That's a good gig. Yeah, she, Callie, I mean, she, she was mentally tough. It seemed, it seemed to appear that she could have potentially lasted. She only had what about 10 or 11 days left. And they, they, they pulled her due to the frostbite and due to the, um, you know, due, due to, I guess she had lost too much weight in her, her, BMI calculation was was below whatever the threshold they set. I mean, are you are you close with any of the contestants? Are you close with Callie or any of the other 
contestants? You guys have pretty good blood or? No, no, I, I have no communication with any of them guys whatsoever. I uh, pretty much do my own thing. It's uh, it's called a loan, and I've brought myself to where I'm at by my own power in the last 50 years, besides my spiritual connection. And I I I, I don't need to hang out with these guys. It's sure. not part of my medicine. Sure. Fair. Hey, fair, fair, fair enough. Well, awesome. Well, let's um, let's just jump right into it. I know some, you know, not not every one of our listeners have, have probably watched the series. I'm sure a lot of them have, but you know, I think the two the two things that you're most known for is you 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 killed a muskox. Which prior to that, I don't think anybody I don't think anybody has ever killed a muskox on the show. I think you're the the, the only guy that's ever done that. Um. Talk to us. Maybe give us a a, a, a brief um, summary of that that whole experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The muskox stab ain't happening again. Sorry, all you people that want to get on there and try to do that again. There, there was just too many things that that brought that into play. For one thing, I had my cameras on with full batteries. Very important. And. Uh, just just the tracking situation and the hit got that animal down in front of me and and i was out of arrows and i was like i have to camp out with this thing all night wait for it to die and you know how a wounded animal is they're pretty tough they don't know they're dead it might lay there all night or i go clear back i had no gear or i go clear back to rock house which was the ultimate phenomenal mega structure of all alone ever i see that guy this year named his moss house i guess he can have moss house that's pretty weak i'll stick with rock house and so anyway i could go back to rock house and uh go back in the morning and my muskox all ate by wolves are gone so um, uh, belt knife was one of my 10 items pull out my straight sticker and thinking it over you know and the wind was right from him to me and and I got in close and I made the jump and made the stab made a few more stabs and the muskox went down found out I had it all on film and I know right there alone season seven I had it from there on praise God in Jesus name I had it from there on and alone season seven was going down in history I'm the hundred day man I ain't going no place. Yeah, and I, you know, one one thing, I mean, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, that's a that's a lot of meat. Um, hundred days is a long time. That's almost three and a half months, and it just it, it just kept getting colder and colder. I think they dropped you guys off. What about mid September? And you killed that was you kill that muskox about thirty days in. Late September drop. What, what you don't see on the show, and there's a lot going on there you don't see, latest drop in alone history for the first 10 participants, latest drop in alone history, very late September. And I believe the muskox was killed just a little beyond three weeks in. And it, and it, so I, I, I did, I did damn near, I did damn near 40 days or uh, 30 days on fish and berries so, so I'll, I'll just inject this while i got the floor you know everybody's watching this 
and and critique and everybody's moves and that's fine that that's all you know the the drama that's just hallmarks of good reality tv but um so, so, so you watch it and you're like, oh, this guy only went 30 days or 40 days. That's a long time. Hey, t- take a handful of gear and no food and go exist. And don't sneak out for an hamburger. Go exist 40 days with nothing. I mean, even these people that's only making it 30 or 40 days. Whew, it's rough out there, fellas. Right, and and talk about you. You like I said, you were there. There was an approved list of gear. You were allowed to bring ten items, um, you know, and maybe you can talk about what those items were. And 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 in hindsight, or any, would you change up any of those items, or would you take the same ten? I'll put my ten item list up against anyone's, and you know, on, on that same year alone, season seven. I believe you can still go to historychannel.com or something like that and pull up the 10 item interviews. They, they interviewed every participant and stuck us on the internet with, with our gear and, and we spoke about it and showed it and stuff. And, and, you know, that's my list. That's the winning team. As I said, after the interview, check that stuff out, check the hundred day King out before he even goes in showing off his gear still telling everybody he's going to win. I'm curious at, like with the mus with the muskox is at what point did you kind of set your sights on that and realize that if you could accomplish that and get a muskox a muskox down like how much advantage that would be to you for the long haul. Was that something you went in on or was it something that you kind of you you came upon during those first 30 40 days or, or how did that pursuit begin? Well, you know, everybody's got big game in their sights. That that that's the that's the jackpot. That's the jackpot. But you don't know if you're gonna get that or not. We're out there stick bows, recurves and long bows. It ain't that they they did do uh last year's in deer country and, and there was a mule deer or black tail of some sort killed. So so deer tend to be you know, there's a little more deer per square acre than than big game. So when you get up into musk ox and moose, you know, you might not even see one. There's participants that never even saw one. So, yes, it was part of my plan, but at the same time, you know, you didn't know if that was going to happen. And then you got to make the shot or get close enough to even pull off a shot. You guys are archery hunters, and, and, and we got we – got, uh, you know, all the compound bow advantages and stuff like that. Well, now reduce yourself to stick bow and see if you can make it happen. There, there. It, it's a, uh, it, it, when you've got primitive weaponry and, and our stick bows are way beyond anything probably early man had, but, but when you got primitive weaponry, it's just another whole facet on everything. I did every big game kills. Damn, they're a miracle. I guess. I guess. Have, have you had previous experience shooting um, shooting a a, uh, a longbow? I mean, is that something you grew up doing, or what, is that something you picked up before the show and just went for it? 
Hey, that's a good question. Great question, Mike. I've had that question pop to me too. And so as a young man in Pennsylvania that couldn't get enough time afield, Pennsylvania was one of the original muzzleloading states, and, and they still do have a flintlock season. So we grew up hunting flintlock, which is pretty difficult. Uh, but, but, but we embraced it along with the bow hunting, of course, which is kind of where you were leading. And, um, but we embraced it because, you know, you want to extend your season. It's why we still do it. We love being out there so much. We embrace these primitive weapon seasons. And so, yes, I did have mostly early compound models, but I, but I had slung some recurve arrows and had never even had a long bow, but I always desired one, but never could fit it in. And then kind of a long explanation. Then I went from that and, and became a guiding professional in Alaska. Well, once you enter the guiding world, you don't got time, you know, by the time I get everybody else an animal and skin everything, get it out of the woods. My own hunting is the last thing on my agenda. So I, I had not bow hunted since a very young man, but as soon as I was selected for a lone season seven i went and bought me a handful of bows and shot them every day and got myself right back to where i needed to be i i was gonna we 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 jumped ahead of the question i was gonna ask but i i, I kind of take it in your answer about the about the muskox I, i'm assuming when you're in that situation you, your focus is more kind of evolved to kind of taking what's given you uh what is most con i hate to use the word convenient because obviously there's nothing convenient about what you were doing but um i mean i guess i could see if you set your sights on something that was very hard to attain how you could end up going down uh a path that would kind of lead you with uh a uh a lot of effort without a lot of reward. So, I mean, are you kind of spending your days uh, taking the low-hanging fruit, so to speak? Oh, my God. You're the only second guy. I'm the first guy that I know that uses that term, low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I love it. God bless you. So, I mean, you, you've got to be gathering up the low-hanging fruit, of course. But at the same time, you've got to be ready for that one shot the one shot that's gonna bring you through there's a lot going on there's a lot going on so would you consider would you consider porcupines to be low-hanging fruit i know i know they're not super fast they run what about two miles an hour there's the one where you club i love that part where you club this porcupine and you you throw that daggum thing on a on a big fire and burn the quills off it and proceed to just dice it up and eat it i mean would is that would would porcupine be considered low-hanging fruit if you got them if you ain't got one it's pretty you know pretty elusive the porcupine is a, is like the survivalist deluxe that, that you can run them down i and let you know if they're way up a tree i'll just chop them out uh, if they're on the ground, I club them. Yeah, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania where there are lots of porcupines. Me and my dad harvested a number of them. And uh, he, he kind of got me on the porcupine thing as a very young man. 
and, 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 you know, we never shoot them. You don't waste bullets and arrows on porcupines. And, and so that's why they're the ultimate survival animal to this day. I mean, all the manuals will tell you that. And, and they are fat, not fast, but fat. Now, some of them are faster than others. They'll actually surprise you once in a while. So, I mean, it's like everything in life. It just ain't as easy to get a porcupine as you think. But, yeah, they are probably in the low-hanging fruit category. Very fat, very nutritious. You know, they're, they're unlike rabbits and squirrel and stuff like that. The porcupines just rolling in fat. It's like beaver and bear. Very, very, very high in calories. Great animal. Porcupine is a great survival animal. So you guys, so you, but, you know, obviously the the the, the muskox was the was the holy grail, but you also you also survived on porcupine. You caught a few fish. Now I don't know if the 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 show just didn't show it, but it didn't show you with necessarily a lot of fish. Um, berries. What were other? Am I missing anything? What other other items did you um, use to to survive on? Oh, yeah, I, I had a whole storehouse full of wild resources that they didn't uh, use because, you know, I, I had so much other great material and some people only had fish or this and that, you know, so so a lot of my material got skipped. And, yeah, I, I had a bunch of fish put up. I had a lot of berry picked. You know, you see berry log. They did feature berry log. Um root mushroom, squirrel mushroom, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm an expert in Northern survival. I, I'll, I just want a lone season 700 day challenge. Yes. I had all kinds of secondary resources put away. That's why when the muskox come along, uh, you know, I was super fat. Hell, I was going to win it on sticks and roots and a couple fish if I had to. Was there anything in this specific area that you were in that was new to you? I mean, were you surprised by anything, you know, just given the, the geography being, you know, obviously different from Pennsylvania or or where you live your life? Was any of that unexpectedly challenging? Mm, I almost have to say no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Norseman. I, I live in the north. It, it was a, uh, it was good country for me. I was familiar with damn near everything. You, do you feel like that was, in some ways, an advantage for you, as opposed to maybe some others that that hadn't had that experience? Yeah, yeah, huge advantage. You know, the Lord's led me down this trail from a very young age. You know, if you go from. Uh, the eastern arm of Great Slave Lake, you know, get you a globe or a big map and you start following it westward, you know, get on your lateral line there and uh, start heading west from Great Slave Lake. Guess where you pop out? Guess right now. <laughs> Red Devil. Red Devil. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and you know, there, there, there was some, there, there was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was... Pretty much. Yeah, I'm looking at a list of I'm looking at a list of other of other contestants from your season, and 
you know, there's a few from kind of the Midwest and, and Southeast of, of, of the U.S., and I can imagine that those people were probably seriously, um, I, I, I hate to say culture shock, but something that would compare to a culture shock in, the, in this regard. Well, going to the list of Season 7 participants, I feel that the Season 7 lineup was the strongest lineup alone has put together yet, those individuals. Uh, it's going to be hard to duplicate that season. But, yes, they weren't they, – they just didn't have my experience. I've lived this. I, I mean, I, I right out of the chute – I started making my living as a young man, a young boy in, in the fur industry. It was a horrible living. And then in the coal mining industry, you know, we, we, my family, logging industry, my family has always taken a natural resource and, and made our money on, you know, we're not park rangers. We're not federal workers. We're not state workers. My family is entrepreneur making our living off of some kind of resource natural resource that has a lot to do with this long hours your work ethic and then you know then you throw in my northern experience where i became a guide i i crapped up here for a living spent winters in wall tents harvesting martin wolf and wolverine and sending them into canadian auctions for part of my yearly income i mean this is my way of life and so I will say that season seven, in my opinion, was their strongest lineup ever. But a lot of them people are going out for three-day weekend quests, one-week quests, possibly. I've been living the lifestyle for 25 years, living it, not going out for a little bit of training, living it. And I'm going to take the same mentality, the same knowledge, and, you know, apply it again if they put us all in the ring. It's, it's swinging my way, folks. I want everybody to go in and, and you know, try to beat me. I got to have some competition. But, but you know, when, when you're on day 60 or 70 and life sucks, I'm still out there. You might as well just go home. <laughs> I, I love the confidence. You know, one thing I noticed, Roland, about you, um, especially after you got that mustache down, uh, was just the, just the pure work ethic. I mean, you, you talk about work ethic. That's something you obviously learned at a very young age. I mean, uh, my, my grandpa used the term, and, and he would usually use it to describe a guy like that. He'd, he'd size a guy up like you and say that guy could eat hay and pull a wagon. I, I, I would say that about you. You've got an incredible work ethic. Um, talk to us about that muskox. I mean, how many trips? I've, I've packed, you know, I've packed a couple, you know, big glass and moose out. Um, it takes a lot of trips. We had, you had you, but we had three guys, but uh, it was just, just you. Um, I mean, how many trips back to the back and forth to the rock house to get that? doesn't look like you wasted anything. I mean, you even brought the gut bag with, with all the gut material in there. And I, I, I'm going to ask you a question about that a little later on, but how many trips did that take? Yeah, there was nine or 10 trips, you know, 50 to 
80 pound trips there. We, we didn't use our pack. We packed it in on our shoulders or in your arms. It was brutal. It was a two mile trip back to Rock House. That's a conservative estimate. Yeah, just that kind of work right there alone. And, and you got to knock it out and get it done, you know. Going back to work ethic, so, so how many people have went to work? I'm not saying at Rock House or the Muskox or nothing, but this is going back to my younger days when I had to go work for other people or cut my own logs. You know, I used to buy standing timber and harvest it and take it to market. Be kind of a warmish day, but I went out and I've soaked my boots. I mean, a leather pair of work boots, soaked them clear through. Socks and boots soaked through. Your jeans soaked through. Your belt soaked through. The only thing it ain't soaked through is your belt buckle. And and uh, you ain't got no shirt on. That's the kind of work ethic I'm talking about. If you can't do that, if you've not experienced that, if you've not pushed yourself through that kind of thing, I'm going to beat you. Well, and it's, it's, it's not just about that work ethic, but you, like you said, being able to work through misery, pure misery, right? And you just have to, and, mm. and that's where it becomes a mental game. I mean, talk to us about that. I, I know I'm going to share another quote with one of the other contestants um, about that. She says, and this is Kylan, she says, sometimes my mind is destructive to myself. And then a quote from you, um, another quote from you, you said, being in the wilderness makes you more aware there is nobody backing you up. Um, powerful, man. That's a powerful quote. I mean, and that's true. You, you are alone. And, you know, one slip of the knife and you hit a, a major artery or, you know, a misstep or whatever. And, and, you know, when you're in Alaska, and I've been in the Arctic, I, I've hunted in the Arctic, I've hunted grizzly and caribou and, and doll sheep. And, and, and I understand, man, you like, you're, you're out there, whether even, even if you're with a partner, I mean, you're, you're hundreds of miles from civilization. And, you know, you, you slip up and it's, it's game over. It, it could mean the end of your life. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's no room for error. And uh, Kylan was a great, great player. What a, what a strong woman. Kylie, too, of course. I mean, everybody knows that. And, uh, but, but, yeah, you, you can't slip up. So everybody asks me for the secret to the whole thing. And I say three things. Nobody likes it. It's just so simple and so elemental. But it, but it's, it's how it has to be. You can't get hurt. You can't get hurt. You're not going to make it 100 days hurt. You can't get hurt. I've never had a broken bone in my body. You know, my back don't go out. Whatever. I don't get hurt. You can't get sick. I, you know, I eat stuff out there to make a bear puke. You, you know, you see somebody throwing up, they're going out. How, how many people throwing up stayed? They didn't. You can't get sick. And you can't lose your shit. You can't lose your gear. You know, you, you can't burn your house down and you can't lose your stuff. That's it. That's it. And you got to be mentally, you know, you got to be a mental Superman and a physical Superman. Right. I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, you talk about, we talk about you guys taking 10 items, all of which I think are very important to survival, but ultimately, 
Um, and I was taught this as a young man, your greatest survival item is your mind. You know, you, you can, you can talk yourself right into a serious situation and make it worse than it really is. Or you, you can get, you know, in a panic, in a situation, maybe you're try, trying to hurry to skin an animal and get back to camp before it's dark and you slip and you cut yourself, you know, so, you know, how, how powerful is the mind in a, in a survival situation, Roland? Oh, it, it, it's right up there with, with the big four. So, so uh, Texas A&M is actually creating a course around the loan. And, and uh, I think history has sanctioned it even. I was talking to the professor a little bit, Allie Colred, I think is her name. And, uh, you know, the, 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 there's three things involved with, I guess, survival. You know, your 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 body, you've got to have a strong body. And one, you're, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So you've got to have the strong body. You gotta have a strong heart to push through, and you gotta have the strong mind to to shut that misery out. I mean, it it sucks sitting out there with nothing to eat. Guarantee you, nothing to read. I mean, there's no journal, there's no reading, and so so that this is then back to Christianity and my faith in God. This is my addition to the three uh, aspects of survival. You know, body, heart mind and i added soul when things are getting rough you seek the lord you seek the lord that's always my secret weapon and he'll bring me through again brother i'm I'm curious kind of stepping back to you know just before or and i don't know how long the process was but what what brought you to the alone series you know did someone bring it to your attention or were you recruited to do it? Or, you know, what, what brought you to that to begin with? So, so I, I'm guiding. I like, you know, I'm Alaska big game guide, registered big game guide, 1240. And I got high dollar clients coming from all over the country, some of them from other parts of the world, showing up at my camp. And they're all over their phones. They're all over the TV. And, you know, I, I, I love TV. Every chance I get, I watch it. But I just ain't around it a lot. So, so, so they, they, they show up and, you know, oh, hey, and this is about the time reality television. And my book explains this a little bit, too. You know, the last Bushman on the, on the mid-Cusca twin, the adventures of Roland Welker and Red Devil Alaska. I've been out a long time, and now I even have the alone edition. You can go to my website, com and get that book. And uh, these people would show up at my camp and – Okay, oh, God, there's this great new reality show called Alone, and they'd explain it to me. I had not seen it. And, you know, something, many of these men hunted with me time after time. They, they knowed I was like ultimate bush survival supreme and, and uh, fans of mine way before Alone. And they're like, you should go do that. Well, I knowed it would take somebody with a computer to get me in there because that's the way the world was headed. And I told them, you know, they started telling me this on season one. And I told them all the same thing. Get me in there. Put my name in, fill it out. Give me a phone call or two. We'll answer the questions together. And and they all said the same thing. Yeah, we're going to go home and do that. We'll get you in there, brother. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, they shoot their moose and go home. And I never hear from them again until it's next hunting season. And uh, that's just kind of how it went. And finally, 
like I don't do computer. I, I don't, you know, do not. And finally, my sister, God bless her, Megan Francis, had a little bit of time on her hands. And I was actually on a deer hunt in Baton Rouge, and I like my Louisiana boys a lot. I'm and I was down there with a little bit of time on my hand. Oh, my Louisiana boys are some of my strongest hunters. God bless them. And, and so me and my sister did the application over the phone. I mean, it's a long application. People think you just go sign up for this thing, and there you go. You know, there's thousands of people putting in for this. So the, 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 the gig to getting in alone is is painful anyway my sister we could have a whole show on that my sister went through the pain of uh you know helping me through the application process lo and behold it was good enough that uh you know we got a phone call or two and once they started talking to me i took it from there and bing bang boom i was on history channels alone season seven so Once I'm, you start talking to me, things things go yeah. pretty quick. I, I I got a strong message. I'm I actually am I am just north of Baton Rouge, about twenty five miles north of Baton Rouge is where I live. So I'm curious, kind of stepping away from that because you piqued my interest. Where where and what kind of hunting did you do down here? Oh, I just go down there and shoot some deer with them boys. Mainly, I'm booking hunts when I go down there. But, you know, we go to deer camp, we go to Mississippi a lot. A lot of them boys go over to Mississippi for their bigger heads. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm well-traveled way before alone in Alaska. I, 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 I did some jobs. I, I worked all over the country before I was 24 and went to Alaska. I mean, I flew the coop at 17. I graduated from high school, and I got, I, I just, boom, started doing my thing. So, you know, I, I, I can remember being in Tupelo, Tupelo, Mississippi, bad city to ride around at midnight with Yankee plates on. And, uh, but I remember being on the Natchez Trace and some of them other highways and seeing big Mississippi bucks. And then now, lo and behold, as an Alaska guide and stuff, I go down there with my hunters and I'm hunting some of them bucks. So we're hunting big white-tailed deer and booking uh, Alaska big game hunts down there. St. Francisville. Yep. Shout out to St. Francis. Yep. Very close to where I live. Not very far at all. So that's that's interesting. It's a small world, well, big, big world, small community, world. community, man. Big, yeah. yeah, it's small world, but it ain't a small world when you're in the hunting community. There's, you know, uh, Louisiana is kind of like Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people there, but that's a big hunting population. Yeah, yeah. A lot definitely. of shooting enthusiasts, a lot of, lot of serious hunters coming out of Louisiana. And to that end, we were talking about, you know, how Roland and I met, and it was from his buddy Ross, who is also from Louisiana, so it's... Uh, yeah, Ross Walcart, great hunter, great hunter. That that man, you know, he, he came with me, and, and we got a doll sheep, him and his buddy. We doubled, bang, bang, two legal sheep down, and then the next year it came, he'd been wanting a brown bear his whole life, and we got what we termed one step. We named that bear, bear one step. You know, we got a giant eight footer with me. Yeah. Me and Ross got some expeditions under our belt. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome guy. Also spent a, spent a week in camp with those guys hunting black bears and we all, we all paroled some pretty good bears and yeah, great, a great time. You know, I, I, uh, I was kind of doing a little bit of research and preparation, just kind of getting, I mean, 
you know, Roland, you and I have talked a few times already on the phone, but I, it seemed like I heard in one of your interviews, and this, this is an experience that I believe happened outside of a loan. Just, just, I think it just kind of speaks to, um, the, the life you've led, but it seemed like you, you shared a story about you, you were in a survival situation where you had to eat one of your sled dogs or am I, am I totally misguided on that? Oh no, I've had sled dogs. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. They're, they're, they're <laughs> quite delectable <Mm-mm>. actually. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> that. That, 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 experience, that. led to that or that? Well, I, I, I didn't get picked up. We, we were, uh, dropped deep 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 southwestern you know there's country out here that you've never even heard of rivers you never heard of and and you know you you get some back when i first came here 20 some years ago there there was a lot of people with a super cub i'd I'd like to to say that while while we're on bush alaska and where i'm from here in red devil you know red devil's a pretty nondescript community but uh there is another famous man that came from here and i studied under him and had i wouldn't say an insignificant amount of who i became dick wilmars we flew around with him a lot did a lot of trips with him he was the first iditarod champion in 1973 they organized the first iditarod race that everybody's in love with now on 73 when it was brand new they were just gathering up bushmen and dumping them off and in uh anchorage and this was before the false start they actually must from anchorage to Nome. and dick wilmarth won the first one my neighbor here dead and deceased now but he was my neighbor here for a number of years and, and i studied under under him well he took me to a number of trap lines over the years with his super cub fabulous pilot him and jim bombs two of my most favorite pilots of all time jim's still living and uh but the uh, one year he didn't take me and i was relying on other pilots we didn't get picked up and you know long story short long story long harrowing story christmas and new year's came along no airplane no airplane too far to walk out I was about ready to, you know, try to hike it. I was going to keep one dog and, and shoot two and boil them up and put them in, in a uh, full meat in, in a uh, one gallon Ziploc to make my own kind of mountain house gig. And then finally the airplane did come, but I ate a dog entirely at camp before that. Yeah. I, I've dined on sled dog twice a day for seven days. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing in the camp nothing imagine going through your house without a scrap of food nothing 40 50 below gutted the plastic peanut butter jar and wiped it out i mean there's nothing yeah that's that's i i I got i got those kind of experiences to draw on Uh, and uh, these other people that that, you know i i I support these other people i'm not saying you know i alone season seven was the strongest lineup I think they ever had. There was there was some good people there, but they just haven't thrown themselves out into the wilderness and and actually lived it. I've lived it, guys. I've lived it. I've done it. And then the hundred day challenge, and they happen to have me in the lineup. This is destiny. 
So I'm, I always run into this thought anytime I'm watching anything or reading or, or in a conversation. So I'm from the South, and the coldest I've ever had to deal with really is like whitetail hunting in the Midwest when it gets, you know, in the single digits and I'm sitting in a tree stand for a long time. I can't really wrap my brain around how you physically survive in negative 40 and negative 50 temperatures. Like, like what is your... What is your day like in order to just meet the minimum requirements of of not freezing to death? Your whole day evolves around cold. Everything you do evolves around your shelter and your clothes and, and wet and dry. You don't want to get wet. And, and, you know, staying warm. It all revolves around that. It, it's you're, you're consumed with it. It, it it penetrates every aspect of your daily life sleeping waking what time you get up in the morning how much fire you need how much firewood you need i mean it, it's it's there with you always it's like it's just there with you 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 have to you have to learn to like that and and i i don't I mean, I like I told the story where I was working in hot climates and sweated my belt buckles through, and I have done that. But if I can pick my climate, I am a cold weather guy. I have that ace in my hole too. I kind of dig cold weather. I, I do good in cold weather. I have a great circulation system. My blood's always flowing, you know. And, you know, I'm always uncomfortable. I mean, there, 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 there's a difference between uncomfortable and freezing to death. So, so you hear people, you'll go hunting with them, or if you, um, the women are really bad for it. If you take your little lady out on stand with you, you know, she says, oh, I'm cold. Well, I wonder if they're cold or if they're just uncomfortable. Because I'm uncomfortable. When, when you're living in the wilderness with minimal gear, you're uncomfortable. I don't care if it's too hot, too cold, whatever. You're always uncomfortable don't even think about getting comfortable you're just trying not to stroke heat stroke out or freeze to death yeah well it would be uh, it goes back to your mental it goes back to your mental powers well and it would probably be safe to say that that you know over the course of the years and the you know the days spent in the wilderness that you've essentially uh, learn to maybe not embrace being uncomfortable, but it just, it doesn't bother you, um, nearly as much. And I, you know, I think with that rock house, I mean, obviously that's, that's one aspect that allowed you to endure a lot of those cold temperatures. Looks like you'd fashioned a nice little fireplace in there. Had you, had you planned on constructing your, um, your shelter out of rocks. I know most of the contestants, you know, fashion some kind of a shelter using, you know, timber and logs and, you know, brush and weeds and mud and all that kind of stuff. But had you originally planned to, to do a rock structure? You obviously found that spot that had some rocks already there. And so you kind of, it looks like you kind of used what was already there and then kind of built upon that. Was that kind of pre-planned to find an area like that or? Well, nothing. Now, here's a tidbit I'll let go. I try not to let too many, uh, you know, 
working points loose in these kind of conversations because you know i either want you to come to survival camp or you know I, there, there might be people that i have to play against listen to my stuff so i, I don't necessarily come out with the good stuff you know you're not going to get my great techniques off this podcast i'm going to keep it all kind of vague but uh you know you you've you got to roll with what you got let's put it that way and you were confined, as I understand it, you were confined to a five five square miles. Like you, uh, whatever whether whatever fell within that five five miles was kind of what you you got what you got. You got what was handed to you. Whether there was a a musk ox that happened to wander within that those those parameters or whatever. I mean, how I'd imagine that was a pretty strict rule that you were confined to the to that five square miles. Correct. It, that is correct. You you do you do have a geographical area, but I mean when 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 you're talking about five square miles is way bigger than 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 you actually know. You know, it, it you'll have it in that five square miles. You know, you're gonna have it. That that is actually ample territory, and you know they got ten of us with that kind of area, which, which adds up to a big giant area and they have to get out and service all them people once in a while, or if there's an emergency, you know, rescue them. So, I mean, it, it actually, five square miles is actually very adequate, very adequate. I have no issue with the five square mile thing. I would imagine just given the general nature of, of, pacing yourself and and managing yourself through a survival situation you really wouldn't want to venture out further than that would you that would that there would be risk involved in that i would assume bingo yeah that's what i i I think if I, i first of all let me just be very clear i would not make it i wouldn't be a good contestant i know i wouldn't but uh i think i would if I can imagine myself in your in your situation there, being as efficient as I could as close to my shelter would kind of be my motto. Hand that man a cigar. <laughs> Just don't drop me off in the Northwest Territory. <laughs> I, I have well, a lot. Of, if, you do, if, if you do, make sure there's a rock house already there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to imagine it, and I have a lot rock of good house, ideas. Rock house. It, I, mean, I had Rock House damn near done before the Moscox come along. Mo- Rock House will not be reproduced ever, maybe, possibly, if they send me back in. But you've watched two episodes now since Rock House. Nobody's even come close to duplicating Rock House. And, you know, Rock House was built into the side of the mountain, so you really couldn't even tell how significant. The magnificent Rock House was in the footage, uh, you know, the, 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 the photo and the footage will never duplicate the real thing we all know that from our uh photo ops in our hunting um so you know rock house was mega structure mega structure you know nobody's doing rock house again here's something about rock house you know so, so you watch alone at the end they make everybody's structure just disappear and you know time frame it down to where it disappears watch alone season seven at the end 
rock house don't even disappear. They went in there and scattered it around a little bit, but it's it's all still laying right there. It was too much for their safety crew to dispose of. Very That's nice. awesome. Hey, one one question I had, uh, Roland. I mean, obviously this is a this is a hunting podcast. Three is a extreme hunting gear company. Um, so obviously, mo- you know, most of our listeners are are hunters. Um, yep. Yeah. Especially yep. here in the Rocky Mountain West, and we have a lot of guys from you know, as you know, I mean, the Louisiana boys. You get a lot of those guys from around the United States and really around the world that. Um, you know, that come to Alaska and hunt, I'm certainly one of those guys, even, even here in the Rocky Mountain West, I mean, you, you can get into some pretty, um, you know, pretty dangerous situations. Mountains are big and tall and incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Um, but, but let's get back to the, to the hunting aspect of hunting in, in really big, dangerous country, um, is, is survival skills, man. And, and, you know, I, I remember, I can't remember the contestant's name, um, but I remember this guy, they're interviewing him, and he says, I'm one of the contestants, I'm not really a hunter, and I remember he threw a rock and hit a squirrel, he killed a squirrel, and I'm like, you know, no offense to this guy, I'm sure he has a lot of great survival skills, but I'm like, there, there's no way that guy's naked, like, he don't have if you don't have the ability to hunt, you don't have the ability to survive, especially in the Arctic, because you lost a lot of, you know, you lost a lot of uh, the ability. You can gather berries, you know, they were freezing. I mean, that's, that's like you, you have a limited time to kind of forage on berries. And then from there on out, it's, you, you got to have meat. You got to be able to hunt. You got to be able to fish. So I, I kind of had a feeling that guy wasn't going to last very long, but it seemed like the ones that could, you know, get an arrow and some critters and fish are the ones that really lasted. Well, great observation. It's all time sensitive, of course. Yes. I mean, it's late fall and shit's freezing up. This is a cold weather show alone always declares that it's going to always be a cold weather show. Cause people ask me, Oh, what if they ever send you to someplace warm? No, well, alone ain't going to do that. Alone is a cold weather show and cold really separates the men from the boys. I believe you're talking about season, my, my season, season seven, where, where the, the gentleman that didn't take a bow, that was Joe. He, uh, he, did, he rocked that squirrel. I remember that scene. And uh, he did mention he played some ball as a young man. And, you know, so he could pitch rock and ball. And that was a fabulous stone throw on a squirrel. I've stoned a handful of squirrels in my day. And, uh, yeah, each one is very memorable. And for him to do that on film, another thing I'd like to point out on Alone Season 7, my buddy Keith, I really resonated with Keith because he was from Kentucky in the Appalachias country, so to speak. He was on the west side of the Appalachias. But, uh, you know, I, I, I really bonded with Keith because we're kind of from the same people. And he shot that squirrel he used his bow but he shot a squirrel up on a tree and he's got his cameras going too i mean this is all self-filmed you know like all these other survival shows you got a camera crew this alone is self-filmed we could do a talk on all that what's involved in getting this on camera when you're alone but keith he shot that squirrel with his bow and then it, he, he hit it and it's coming down out of the tree and he reaches out and catches it in his left hand 
he got that on camera. I mean, so so we're we're talking about even if they make wrong gear picks or made wrong moves or whatever, uh, we're, we're talking about phenomenally talented people here. And, and you know, I'll, I'll put a lone season seven up. Like, I don't hang with these people, and I don't know what their feelings are about me or nothing. You know, I'm just out to beat everybody. I ain't making friends with none of them. But I will say, again, Alone Season 7 had a great lineup. And, and those two things right there prove that. Yeah, I was I would absolutely concur. There was some very, very uh, stiff competition. But I, I think that the, the point that I realized, man, really just how how tough you were was I, I think this was I can't remember what day maybe you don't even remember maybe you do you probably remember every single day but maybe it was day 80 or 86 or something like that and you you opened the gut bag of that frozen I don't know if it was frozen or what but you kept the gut bag of that must and you you pulled the grassy content the half digested grassy content out and you proceeded to to, to boil that in some water and eat it. And I, at that point, I was like, you know what? Holy <laughs> mackerel, this guy, <laughs> yeah. this guy is the real deal. And I, I can't even imagine that being very palatable. Um, but uh, you you ate it with a smile, man. And uh, I think you referred to it as bush spinach or something like that. But Rock house spinach. The rock house uh, fan. I mean, come on, Roland. You got shoot us straight. That's got to be the nastiest thing alive. Well, I already said it once, but I'll, I'll reiterate it for everybody and you guys too. I ate stuff out there and make a grizzly bear puke. And it has to go back to your constitution, who you are. I mean, we are who we are. God, praise God. Praise God in Jesus Christ's name. I've been given a body that don't fail. I don't trip and hit my rib. I don't bend my knee. I, I, you know, I don't have broken bones. I don't have injuries. I can eat anything. I got the mind. I got the heart. I got the body. I got the soul. And I got the next challenge well in hand. Uh huh. Well, it's it's been a, a it's been fascinating to hear your story and to learn more about you know what you do and as we kind of reach our, our time on the pod, I, I do, I want you to have the opportunity to tell us a little bit about your, you know, what you do and what you offer in terms of your personal survival camp and, and your outfitted hunts. And just tell us a little bit about that and, and what you do and, and let people know how they can, how they can kind of hang out with Roland Welker, learn a little bit more about this in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't do, all the internet stuff myself. I just don't. I, half the time I don't have signal. I, I I got my hands on too much stuff. I'll run the phone a little bit. You go to my website, www, and they tell me you don't even have to throw that in there no more. com. That goes to my sister who came to Rock House and, by the way, did a great job. When you watch Alone Season 7 and Megan comes in to pick up the 100-Day King, she comes in, yeah, she was on fire. And so she's running my website. You, you, you type in that place and, you know, I'm so-and-so from wherever, and I want to study under the 100-Day King. We got the survival course, which is nothing like you're going to get no place else. 
and then my big game hunts, which is actually where my heart still lies. Big game hunting in Alaska. I'm getting doll sheep, caribou, moose, and giant grizzly bears on a consistent basis. Started when I was 25. Now I'm going on 51 this fall. And I, and I still advertise myself as one of the best big game guides in America, in Alaska, for the simple fact that I've been doing it 25 years and you start getting smart when you get old. And I've retained my physical. A lot of registered and mastered guides, you know, in, in their late 30s or early 40s, they're done. They're, they're paperwork guys or pilots, and they're sending you out there with their assistant guides. You're still hunting with me. You know, my hand ain't withered just yet. Now, someday when my physical starts to fail, I guess I can't advertise myself as that no more. But, but you know, I'm, I'm hanging pretty tough. You got big Alaska game on your agenda, or you just want to hang out with the 100-day man and and uh, get the lowdown and some cool survival gigs, go to rollingwelker.com and get my shirts and book on there too. Very cool. Well, Mike, as, as we roll on, we're still very new in this, this podcast adventure, but I'm excited as, as the calendar continues to, it, it feels to me like it's crawling towards uh, the months and weeks ahead where we're, where, where we're getting into seasons and we're getting out in the field and, those are the kind of things with that that we're all looking forward to, and, and some of the guests and topics that we're going to talk about on this podcast, you know, are really going to heat up as we start uh, getting into those seasons of the year and and finding our way. And we appreciate people giving us a shot here and, and tuning in and listening. And uh, just kind of want to ask both of you guys: you got anything else before I wrap this up? Well, hundred day king. Just, oh, I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry. Go ahead, buddy. Let, let me just say something, and then we're going to give you the last word, Roland. How's that? Since you're the 100-day king, you get the last word. But um, I love it. Just just one thing that I that, – that, that kind of the one takeaway here is, you know, as hunters, you know, we, we all want to be successful. I mean, obviously, your, you know, your, your passion with the Alone Series was to win it, um, and you did. Um, and, you know, our hats are off to you for that. I mean, it wasn't – it was – not even close to being a walk in the park it 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 required um you know uh, the, the, the mental aspect that we talked you know heart mind and soul and god and and it took all those things that i think as hunters i think the one takeaway is we all want to be successful and we 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 can be man we just gotta we gotta put our heart and soul into it and you know maybe we're not the best at but everything but um you know uh if we stay mentally strong, man, we can, yeah, we, we can, we can do hard things. We can tackle tough challenges. And, and I, I think you're living proof that that can happen. So it's just, just been awesome to have you on the, the show rolling. And, um, you know, chances are that this, this won't be the last time that we rub shoulders with you. We're currently in the works with rolling on a few different things. So, uh, um, we, we hope to hear a lot more from you. Well, yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. Appreciate you too there, Locke. And uh, God bless America. God bless the hunting world and our our uh, our uh, our heritage. Yeah. Everybody that's hunting, whether you're shooting quail, whether you're shooting a deer or two, or whether you want to come shoot some 
you know, amazing northern game, our, our hunting and, and uh, shooting heritage harkens clear back to the embodiment of the American pioneer spirit. Absolutely. It's who we are and who we're always going to be. We ain't going nowhere, brother. Well, it, it's been fun. We appreciate it. And I encourage people to go to RolandWelker.com and, and find out more about everything that he's got going on. And if you haven't, um, there's streaming services all around nowadays where you can go back and watch uh, the Alone Season 7 and, and kind of get uh, a firsthand uh, experience of, of a lot of things we talked about but thank you guys for being on and thanks everybody for tuning in you're listening to the Scree Country Podcast Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment.